Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Pentecost by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's pray as we come around God's Word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. And I, I stand here, a man in desperate need of your help. For every word that I speak, may you keep me from error, I pray, and may you sow eternal seeds in our hearts. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. In your wonderful name, amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Acts chapter 2, we'll get there in a moment. For those that were here last week, we began in Acts chapter 1. There is no Acts chapter 2 without Acts chapter 1. We learned that the writer of the book of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke, same guy that writes the Gospel of Luke. He writes uh, his Gospel from a historical perspective, but he writes the book of Acts from a first-hand perspective as he follows mostly Paul around. One of the verses we came to last week, which I think is important for where we're at even right now as we come into the talking about Pentecost, is uh, Jesus promised the disciples that they would receive power to be his witnesses. And just so that we're clear, the word witness means that you have seen or experienced something that you can testify to. A little bit more about that something in a moment. But as we finish with that song, uh, that song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, was penned by a man by the name of Horatius Boner. I'm not sure if anybody's aware of the story. I'll move through the facts really fast. Horatius Boner, early 1900s, he's a lawyer, very successful, loses everything in the fires of Chicago. Uh, On the promise, uh, not only was D.L. Moody in the UK at that time, but on the promise of uh, business ventures, he decides to move himself and his family to England and he sends his family on ahead of him first. And uh, after some time of hearing nothing from his family, he finally receives a telegram from his wife that says, shipwrecked, uh, all is lost bar one, one child. And his wife were in the UK. Sometime later, Horatius Boner would cross cross exactly the same spot where that shipwreck took place. And at that particular spot, he would stand at the bow of the ship and pen those words. How do you do that? Sometimes the power we receive on high to testify to the reality of Christ, because that's what it means, right? To be a witness is to test to the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And sometimes that is a power that breaks chains in an instant. And sometimes that is a power to stand at the bow of a ship and raise your hands and say, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand everything, but I believe in your power and all is well because I have you. That's Sometimes that's what that power is. For those that read the pastor's comments last week, sometimes God removes the burden and sometimes he strengthens the shoulders to carry the burden. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, speaking of himself, he says, I know of a man that was called up to the third heavens. I haven't even seen the first ones. But he says, I know of a man that was called up to the third heavens and he received a thorn in the flesh. Now, was Paul lacking faith? No. But he asked three times... One of the, apart from Christ, one of the most faithful men in the New Testament. He says, I asked three times that the Lord would take it away. And every time Jesus answered, my grace is sufficient for you. I will strengthen the shoulders of the one that's carrying. Today, as we come to Acts chapter 2, I want to basically give you my rendition of what it means to be Pentecostal. 
It's more than merely the fact that we believe in speaking in tongues. It's more than 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the spiritual gifts. Please remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us that it is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what was going on in Corinth was there was a little bit of a party spirit that was going on. These guys were having a yip-yip kind of a time in the Holy Spirit and Paul brings some grounding. And so just to help you when you are reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about the spirit of the gifts. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is all about the governance and the framework that that gifting should flow inside of. So that's, that's a huge story for another day. I'm not sure if anybody else can remember, uh, some years ago there was a movie starring Jodie Foster called Contact. Anybody ever seen that movie, remember that movie? Uh, most people would, and if you're into aliens, you probably did. But uh, I've known a few aliens, and uh, well, at least... <laughs> I don't know about any other parents here, but when my children were first born, I remember holding them going, what planet did this come from? It's kind of like, whoa, you inherited your mother-in-law's looks. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't have a problem with my mother-in-law. Uh, I am the favourite. I laid that groundwork very early on. Uh, uh, but for those who can remember the movie Contact, uh, I'll give you a quick run-through. Jodie Foster is somebody that uh, you know is monitoring the telescopes and all those sorts of things, and she hears a communication from another life source uh, out in space. And uh, they respond to the communication, and it's a distant communication. They have no understanding of who it is that's communicating or what it means. They begin to communicate back, and, of course, the movie ends with Jodie Foster making contact with this other life force. And so much of that movie, in so much respect, speaks about my own personal experience because uh, for most people here, you will know that I was born again in the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army believe in the Holy Spirit, they just don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. And I can remember there was a meeting that was being held by a guy by the name of Bill Sabritsky. I'm not sure if anybody's ever... uh, He had many flaws. One of them was he was a Kiwi. However... (laughs) I've got to be careful. Uh, Kiwis, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but everybody, the Kiwis are taking over Queensland. Has anybody else ever noticed that? <laughs> Everywhere you turn, there's another, another Kiwi. So God bless the Kiwis. However, uh, I, I wasn't that old in the Lord. I'd only been saved about 12 months, and I had a great knowledge of Christ, and I had a, I had a wonderful pastor who, who led me through the theology and the doctrines of the Christian faith. And, and so I'd begun to understand more about uh, the doctrines and, and spiritual disciplines, and I began to learn more about Christ. And, and I went to this meeting because I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, I, I didn't know. Some people had said uh, what I should expect, and I said, okay, all right, no worries. And I made a decision that night. I was only very young in my mid-teens, which was like, you know, just a handful of years ago, depending on the size of your hand, right? But I, I can remember walking into that meeting. I sat in the fifth row in the middle, and I sat away from every single person I knew deliberately because I didn't know what to expect, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't want anybody else influencing me or telling me what was supposed to happen. And can I tell you that some people told me that meeting went for two and a half hours. I felt like it went for 10 minutes. I think we got to the second song in the worship. Bill Sabritsky was up the front and he said, you might smell an aroma now, which is a great evidence of the tangible presence of God. That's the last thing I remember. Nobody prayed for me that day. Nobody laid hands on me that day. But all of this God who seemed to be a million miles away in an instant became real close. You see, what I experienced that night was, was not a phenomenon. 
It wasn't a set of principles. It wasn't an algebraic configuration that somebody had whipped up. I experienced the presence of God. Now, that's happened many times since then. That's happened many unexpected times since then in my life. But I would describe Pentecost not as a phenomenon, but as a presence. For me, I'd make contact, right, with another world and another person. Completely reshaped my whole Christian walk from that time on. Because in a moment, God was not a set of deductions. God was not a reasonable assertion from evidence. God was not a logical conclusion. God was not a good way to live a good life. God was a real person that went from being a million miles away in that moment to being right here. And what happened that night was I felt drops, if you like, of heaven that I long and I thirst for. You see, when we ask ourselves, what does Pentecost mean for me? It means contact. And does that mean that we believe in speaking with tongues? Yes, we believe in that. And, and Pentecostalism, as we know it's shaped right now, is, has been around since the really late 1800s, early 1900s, as, as we kind of understand it now. But the Holy Spirit was active well before that. And he's active today. And today, my heart yearns for, you know what, I, I'm not even that hungry for the manifestations, to be honest. If I, I have found that the manifestations come with the presence, right? I'm hungry for the person. And one of the, I would say some of his latter works probably ignore, but certainly one of the books that helped me immensely early on was a book by Benny Hinn called Good Morning Holy Spirit. Uh, Good Morning Holy Spirit and The Anointing are two books that I've read. Uh, his later stuff where he waves the coat and gets a bit excited was probably stuff you should leave, but his early work was fantastic. And what introduced me in those books in particular was the Holy Spirit was just like a person. And so I could cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you today, you can't, you can't stand at the bow of a ship and raise your hands and say, it is well, as you go over the deep waters where that hold your children. You can't do that without the power from on high. And we cannot, we don't have the power inside of us to save anybody or to change anybody or to affect anything in the community. But he has all the power. And I hope by the time we're finished today, all of us will understand not only is the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost, but he's available to us today. A.W. Tozer, uh, many years ago, wrote that he, which is an interesting question that we should ask ourselves, but I think every church should ask themselves as well, is this question. If God took the Holy Spirit out of the world today, uh, his greatest fear was that church life would go on unchanged. And if A.W. Tozer was concerned about that in the 1950s, how much more today, friends? You see, when I read through the book of Acts, I realise that these guys had so little of what we have today. These guys didn't have internet, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have Instagram, maybe that's a blessing, right? They didn't have, they didn't have Google, they didn't have live stream, they couldn't fly from one place to the next, they couldn't get in the car and drive... 
there was a lot the first church didn't have that we have. Mm, maybe. Maybe the question today is, did they have something we don't have? That's the challenge. A bit more about that next week. But let's walk our way through what happens in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. For those that have found their way to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, what's going on? What is the day of Pentecost? We could pull it apart, but it's a Jewish feast. It's a post-barley harvest feast. It is a pre-wheat harvest feast. It is a feast of gratitude and thanksgiving for the harvest. It's not a coincidence that God would send the Holy Spirit at a time when all of Jerusalem was celebrating a harvest. There was a different harvest coming that wasn't barley or wheat, right? But on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And we covered that last week. They're in the upper room. And then we read the word suddenly. That's a really, really important word in Acts chapter 2. Because what suddenly means is this happened unexpected. I've had moments like this. That night for that mid-teenager in the fifth row, that was an unexpected night for me. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was anticipating. I had an expectation that God would do something. But I had no idea what that would look like. And I've had moments like that throughout my Christian walk. I have moments like that when I walk into the prayer closet and and unexpectedly God just like lifts the lid and starts pouring into your life. There are people here nodding their heads, which tells me I'm not the only one. And then suddenly, which means, you know what? Nobody whipped this up. Nobody be able, was able to create some kind of an emotional storm and whip it up. And it wasn't because somebody preached an awesome message that day. There's no worship. There's no preaching. There is a group of people in a room praying and seeking God. Uh, when we find the church on its knees praying, we find the church in the place that it should be so often. And uh, towards the end of last year, I shared this with a group of the leadership, and I believe that God has been doing, but now we are going to become more intentional about moving into transformational changes here at The Rock. Part of that is that we want to intentionally change our focus from necessarily, our focus is not growing in numbers, but growing the numbers. And our heart is, and you've been hearing that throughout January, that our heart is uh, that people would be growing in their relationship with Christ. And the second one is a power shift that we would move from being self-dependent and self-reliant to being God-reliant. Don't applaud yet. Wait until God starts doing that in your life. And suddenly, which means it came at a time they weren't expecting, in a manner they weren't expecting. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. And people are asking questions after what happens. And we're going to get there in a moment. But I want you to know that we can tell, uh, absolutely, there is a way to tell whether it's the Holy Spirit moving or not. There is, and we will see what are the hallmarks. But part of that is, it, it, here's how to know when God's moving, right? It's not in a way you could ever have imagined or thought of yourself. It's kind of like, I would never have thought of that. That's when it's God. Uh, by the way, uh, Azusa Street was a group of African-Americans. That's like God, man. 
just like God to take the most unexpected people in the most unexpected situation and for the Holy Spirit just to go boom chakala for, for want of a better term. And suddenly there came, and this is really important, as we're talking about suddenly, suddenly there came where? From heaven. It didn't come from any man. Nobody put this together and we need to be careful about this. Our job is not to create anything. Our job is not to whip anything up. My job is not to entertain or to make sure that we whip something up in the spirit. I've been in church services where we don't go home until the Holy Spirit falls. And then you ask yourself the question, was that really the Holy Spirit? Our job is to come empty, surrendered, with our hearts and hands open, saying, here we are, Lord. We're going to have a look at what that looks like in our own lives in a moment. We've been talking about making room, right? And suddenly there came from heaven and a sound like, and you'll you read the word like a lot in the book of Revelations because what there's, what's happening here is, uh, what they're trying to do is describe what's happening, but they don't have English words to tell you what they experienced. Something really important as we come to the book of Acts that will help you when you're reading the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not a prescription. It's a description. Let me clarify what I mean by that. As we read the book of Acts, we're not searching through here looking for the algebraic configuration of how how it is that we might whip up a revival or whatever it is. What we're actually doing is reading a description of what somebody's saying happened. And the wonder and the beauty of that is that as we read through here, we can say, you know what, God, you've done this before. You know what, when I'm, when I'm praying for Brisbane, when I'm praying for everybody in Brisbane that doesn't know Christ, that might sound like a big prayer, right? Praying for everybody who doesn't know Christ. I still remember Nineveh, right? I just remind God there was a time when you sent a preacher who could only speak four words, didn't mention your name at all, and the whole city repented, including the animals. That's how you know when you've got revival, when everybody's repenting, right? Everybody's off the kale and everybody's repenting. But, but when we read things like that, when we read the book of Acts, this is not a prescription, it's a description. It should, in, it should increase expectation in our hearts. God, you've done it before. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire uh, throughout scripture, uh, you will find that fire is a representation of the presence of God. Uh, The presence of God went before them as a cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, it was God's presence. Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. It was God's presence and it was a a bush that was burning but not consumed. And I pray that the presence or the fire of God would fall. Uh, I I listened to an analogy recently. uh, For those that are familiar with Yosemite National Park, up until 1971, there was a tradition in uh, Yosemite National Park which describes this very wonderfully. They would take all of the dead timber at the top of the granite cliffs and they would pile it up and they would make a huge pile right at the edge of the cliffs. And then they would put gasoline on it and light it. That's my kind of bonfire by the right. But then they would pour gasoline on it and light it and the excavators would push all the dead timber over. And and everybody would be at the bottom saying the fire is falling, the fire is falling, the fire is falling. And may the Lord do that here. May his fire fall. 
may he ignite our hearts, may he burn. We pray for the fire of God, but the fire comes to cleanse, friends. It's a cleansing fire. It does a cleansing work. And suddenly there came from heaven, I'll read it again, a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't filled with emotion. They weren't filled with anything more than the divine presence of the Holy Spirit and none of them expected it to happen in this manner. But let's, let's unpack this word filled for a moment. The word filled is going to become enormously important because we're going to see that the word poured out or pour out, that term is about to become past tense. Filled is about to become present tense. Let me highlight for you, if you, if you were to flick over in, in, in chapter 2, before Peter has finished his sermon, he will say this, being therefore exalted, speaking of Christ, at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out. Past tense. Now I, I say that to say maybe that should reshape our prayer life a little bit. Should we keep singing, pour out your spirit? when he already has. Should we be praying, Lord, pour out your spirit when he already has? What we should be seeking and praying for is, Lord, fill us. But what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what do we do to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You're asking some really good questions this morning. Well done. You will read throughout Scripture, just so that we're quick. We're going to take a real quick run through the book of Acts. But there's about seven verses in particular that speak about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of them here, you read them for yourselves. Some of them come with the evidence of speaking in tongues and others do not. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when Ananias laid hands on him and he did not speak in tongues at that point in time. I'm not saying he didn't later on because he did. But that's not always the evidence of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and when he's writing to the Ephesian church, he says to them, he says, no longer be drunk with wine, which is excess, he says, but, contrast, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5 verse 18. And that word filled means to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, God's already poured out his spirit, so maybe he, just taking a stab in the dark, maybe God's not, Maybe it's not us waiting for him, right? Maybe he's waiting for us. Maybe God desires to fill us, but maybe we're full of everything else. And sometimes this isn't even important, but in Ephesians 5.18 it is important. It's in the passive voice and not the active voice. So the active voice would sound like this. You have to go and fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's in the passive voice and he's pointing to the fact that it is a work of God. What we find in the upper room and what I hope will be the future for many of us is we find 120 empty, surrendered vessels waiting for God to fill them. And I would encourage everybody in this room to do whatever you have to do. This is what we've been talking about all year. Do whatever you have to do to make room for God in your life and you watch him fill that space. But we're too clogged up, right? 
This, this doesn't have to be mystical. We don't have to make this mystical. It's, it's not some far out, far fetched. Uh, next week, we're going to see a miracle that happens next week. And Peter's going to say, why do you think it's because of my power or my piety or holiness? We think we have to make ourselves holy. It's a work of God. It's a work that we surrender to him doing in our lives. We think we have to fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit. We have to make ourselves available and surrendered and allow him to fill us. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And and I touched on this last week, but just to reiterate, because it's important at this point, uh, being filled is not having more of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit has more of you. It's when the Holy Spirit has more of your desires and your priorities. Why is is God always the last priority sometimes? Why is it that we shuffle God down the priority chain? Why is it that, I, Lord, I want to spend time with you, but I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this. Why do we always do that when if we made room, he would fill it? Last week I asked the question, when you read about Peter at the end of John, and then you read of Peter in Acts chapter 5. I mean, Peter is walking down the street and when his shadow falls on people, they're being healed. What's the difference? The difference isn't that he has more of the Holy Spirit. The difference is the Holy Spirit has Peter. There's a huge challenge in that. Let's read on with what happens. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, that term means to be under the control or under the influence of another. That's why Paul says, don't allow yourself to be under the influence of alcohol. Uh, Six years, uh, was it six or seven years I drove nights in taxis? Too long. Whether it was six or seven years, it was too long. Uh, But I met a lot of people who are under the influence of alcohol. They do some stupid things. I can't believe how freely we make alcohol available for the damage that it can do in some people's lives. I've seen relationships dashed on the rocks. I've seen horrendous things happen because of what alcohol can do in a person's life. Paul says, you know what, don't allow those things to control you or to influence you. And so uh, this is where we get the term being drunk in the spirit, right? That's been taken to a far-fetched place. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, being drunk in the spirit simply means this. It doesn't mean you're making chicken noises and it doesn't mean you're barking like a dog. It means the Holy Spirit has complete control and influence over your priorities and your desires and your passions and your conduct. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's the important part. Last week I said, uh, when it, before God sends his church to the world, he sends the Holy Spirit to his church. He's a great example of, of what that looks like. Uh, the Holy Spirit hits them in Jerusalem. It's no accident that Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. That wasn't an accident. Jerusalem is packed. Pentecost was one of the most popular feasts because the weather was more amenable to travel. So many more would come. Jesus knew how many people would be in Jerusalem. Sometimes the population could swell into the hundreds of thousands. 
crammed into this little place. Have a listen now. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered or they were confused. But we'll see how that ends. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Uh, if I could rewind to you now that 15-year-old boy that was sitting in the fifth seat, I just I want to begin to highlight because the Holy Spirit's going to bring this to the surface in a moment. Uh, that whole time that I, I God impacted me deeply that night, but that that impact wasn't just for me to have a goosebumpy time in my head to stand up for a little while and thank you Lord that I'm blessed and walked out. It was completely and utterly missional. What God had poured into my life in that short space of time was to be poured out. Uh, that was a that was a grade eight boy that had just been expelled from one school, was threatened to be expelled from the worst school in Launceston. They were threatening to be, what's your chances after that, right? Um, If I was five minutes late, that guy that was sitting in the fifth seat, if I was five minutes late for school, they rang my foster mother and said, righto, where is he? I wagged more school than I attended. That was the end of grade eight. Thank you for the amens over here. (laughs) That was the end of grade eight. By the start of grade 10, that troubled teenager was a prefect at that school and was running Bible studies two lunch hours a week because of what God had done. We're going to start to unpack. I can remember uh, I can remember there was a lot of conjecture and there still is about Rodney Howard Brown and the Toronto blessing and all these other things. And we're going to see that whenever the Holy Spirit moves, uh, sometimes two things happen. Uh, some people get confused and others mock. That happens, we'll see that before, before we're finished. And there was a lot of conjecture. Is this of God? Is this really of the Holy Spirit? And was it R.T. Kendall, who was the leading spiritual authority uh, in the United Kingdom at the time? He was asked that question. And uh, I loved his answer. And he says, well, you know what? Um, I can only go by what I see. He said, think what you like, say what you like. He says, but I had a backslidden son that has slidden away from the Lord for many years that is powerfully on fire for God because he got touched in a meeting. And there was a daughter that was saved through that meeting, powerfully touched. And of course, he ended and he said, this has to be of God because only God could use Rodney Howard Brown. (laughs) So what was R.T. Kendall saying? Saying, you know what, let's sift through all this. Let's look for the fruit. There was transformed lives. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not always make me feel good kind of sensations. This is powerfully transformed lives. You can't encounter the presence of God and not be different. I think one song used to say that we are peculiar. I'm living up to that. (laughs) Verse 7, and thank you for the... Amen. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? There was Parthians, there was Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, nobody from Brisbane, by the way, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya. What's the point? The point is, how can these guys be speaking the wonders and the mighty works of God in our own language? These guys are Galileans. They're rough fishermen. The only language Galileans knew was swearing. And they were fluent in it. Verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. 
Cretans is not how we might understand that word, by the way. Um, it, it does have a backstory from the island of Crete, but it's a story for another day. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The, the Holy Spirit, he's had to know when it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always, always, always seeks to glorify Christ and uplift and glorify God. Always. If the Holy Spirit is moving, it is to bring glory to God. Transforming our lives, yes. Uh, proclaiming his word, yes. Living as a witness and a testimony to the power of the resurrected Christ, yes. That is his calling card. Verse 12, and, and they were all amazed and perplexed. And you would have been. Put yourself in their shoes. These guys are, what is going on here? But notice that God hits these guys in the upper room and it gets the attention of everybody in Jerusalem. A few short chapters from here, the Pharisees will confront the disciples and say, this teaching of yours has filled Jerusalem. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do such a work in this place that the teaching of Jesus Christ would fill Brisbane. Verse 12, and they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Peter stands up and says, these guys aren't drunk. These guys, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Different climate today in today's world. Nine o'clock in the morning is not so far-fetched anymore for some. But the reality is what Peter does is he stands up to remove the confusion And to answer the questions, I love what Peter does here. He goes straight to scripture. The Holy Spirit never moves outside of the boundaries of scripture. The Holy Spirit does not arrive on the opinions of man, but in the chariot of the word of God, always. So Peter stands up and he says that these men aren't drunk, but he goes back to Joel and says, this is what God had promised. He's pouring out his spirit. And, and for the apostolic among us, you might remember that song that, uh, that goes, this is that, that was written, spoken by the prophet Joel. Yes, <laughs> we, we continued to sing that, but revival never came. <laughs> and for those that know the song, you'll know why. But uh, <laughs> can you remember that song? This is that spoken by the prophet Joel. And we sang it over and over and over and over, but the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, I get it. But... Uh, But Peter stands up and he says, you know, everything you're seeing here, he removes the confusion by saying this is what God says. This is what the scripture says. And I have a heart that each one of us here would embrace Pentecost as the promise of the presence of God. You see... What Jesus said of the Holy Spirit was that the Holy Spirit will take of what is the Father and of the Son and he will testify to you. That word testify means to bear witness or it means to make it a reality. Uh, As I draw to a close today, uh, and this will lead us into next week, I would encourage you, if you can, not to miss next week because these three messages are reaching a climax next week. But... Recently, I read about a a phenomenon called a desert biome. I don't don't know if anybody's ever heard about that. But what the desert biome is, you can walk through a barren, sandy desert, not see a single tree in sight. But underneath, sometimes very deep, underneath all of that sand and dry soil are seeds and shrubs and living organisms that can lay dormant for years. 
There are some places on the planet that barely get a cup full of rain every year. But sometimes, and when it does rain, if you're standing in that same spot, every one of those seeds sprout and that barren ground is filled with green grasses, small shrubs, living organisms. Sometimes there's even like amphibious fish that can lay dormant encrusted in mud for, for ages. And, and I say that because although sometimes it may feel like our Christian walk is like that desert, and if we're honest with ourselves, I know we've got our spiritual makeup on today, and I know we all... But, but the reality is there are dry periods in our lives, and I, I really firmly believe in Australia we're in a spiritually dry climate. The good news is, Lord, all we need is rain. I'm praying for rain. I'm praying that it would rain so heavy, <laughs> which sounds like an oxymoron after this year, right? After last year. Right? Everyone in Queensland's like, stop praying for rain. But, but I'm praying for a spiritual rain. And kind of like uh, while I was preparing this, I, I kind of really sensed the Lord bring me back to the story of Elijah. And uh, Elijah prayed. James says that Elijah was a man just like us. He had a nature just like us. He was fallible just like us. There's evidence that he ate kale <laughs> like some of us. But... It says of Elijah, he prayed fervently and it didn't rain for three years. Then it says he prayed fervently and, and it rained. And if you read the story in, I believe it's 1 Kings 19, if you read the story in 1 Kings 19, it says that Elijah went and prayed and he, put his, he bowed his head between his knees. And in ancient Hebrew times, that was the position that women would take to give birth. Elijah was giving birth to something in prayer. And he sends the servant. Isn't it always the servant that's got to run to the top of the hill, right? He sends the servant to the top of the hill seven times. And then he comes back and says, I see a small cloud the size of a man's fist. And he runs to Ahab and says, you better go now because the rain's coming. And there's a small part of me that's like, I can see that cloud the size of a man's fist. And I pray, Lord, let it rain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want it to be known and I want it to be on record that you are welcome in this place. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you in every home group meeting. We need you in every church meeting. We need you in every board meeting. We need you at every elders meeting. We need you at every men's breakfast and ladies' events. We need you. Father, I pray for rain. Each one of us in this room are like those living organisms that are crying out to heaven, Lord, we're dry. But we all know, Lord, that just the drops from heaven will bring life. And I pray, Lord, that it would rain that it would rain in our hearts, that it would rain in this church, that it would rain throughout your body in Brisbane. Lord, as the physical ground was soaked last year, do that in the spiritual realm, we pray. 
Do that in our hearts. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.